This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. The year's winding down, but these final moments of 2022, I'm delivering to you some awesome stuff. Josh Barnett returns for an epic episode. We talk about a lot of different things. Our post-2000 list of top five horror films, among other stuff. But before we get rolling, I just want to shout out the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. If you guys have been listening to this show for any time, you'll know who I'm talking about. Monday, Horror Wolf 666 coming at you with Brandon Legion. Tuesday, Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Smith for all things extreme. It's the only music podcast I listen to. Jackie is on a little bit of a break right now. He'll be coming back in January, taking the holidays off. Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black. Thursday is Necro Thursday with the Necromaniacs podcast. We take Saturday off. Then Sunday, the Dark Lord, Carl Hikara, comes at you with Soul Knox. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon Legion for as little as $1 a month. You get access to the bonus content. For $5 a month, you get all the bonus content, plus early access to the regular stream shows. Also, real quick, I just want you guys, if you're interested, to follow us on Facebook, Everything Went Black. On Instagram, Everything Went Black podcast and now on to the show josh it's great to hear from you again man oh likewise yeah and uh i was just going through my head and i was like oh fuck yeah i gotta sit down and talk with mike so hit you up it was good seeing you in la you know likewise. Albeit, albeit briefly you know it's good to see a friendly face here and there uh, it's good to hear you guys play live too that was a great tour because it was uh, very diverse, and um, you know we just were we're just itching to get out on the road again after being locked up for two years. So so it was good. Well, I imagine everybody's kind of feeling that way, and you know it's un- unfortunate how you, you'll get tours that'll fucking do great because people are just like fuck, man. We we want to see live music, and then you get ones that just tank and. You just can't quite pin what which is going to do what, and not to mention everybody's got much more, uh, much higher ticket prices now too, and uh, and the venues are still taking their merch. Eh, it's just, it's still, uh, it's not been a lot done, I think, to enable live music to be as capable as it could to make its return. It's actually going to take a while, I think, uh, tour for touring to get back to what any any kind of semblance to what it what it was. You know, I mean, we're experiencing some uh, 
difficulties, you know, things being rescheduled and postponed and falling apart, like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I really find it hard to believe that. I mean, some of it is just the nature of what I will call modern man, but uh, that you can't get like 300 people in a venue for practically any decent metal band sometimes. And like, that's, there's no way, come on. 300 people in some place like LA, what the fuck could they be doing? You're going to tell me, no, it's people are lazy as shit and, and or things are out priced out of, out of, out of a price range that they can afford at times too. This is all true. And uh, one, one of the things that I made a commitment to uh, after things returned relatively to the normal, you know, shows happening is that I'm not going to sit on my ass. Cause I know that, I used to live right down the street from St. Vitus in Brooklyn, and I missed so many shows because I was just like, ah, I'd rather, you know, it's getting late. I'm, you know, I'm going to hang out here, watch Netflix or hang out with this girl or whatever. But so I missed like obituary playing in like a 300 cap room, like all these <laughs> shows. And now I'm, I'm taking the, um, I'm grabbing life by the horns and I'm actually going out and I've, seen all this all the shows that i wanted to see merciful fate you know everybody i saw a dead guy like three three times in the last year you know it's it was sick yeah that was some great shit well also look you want to kick it with a chick if she doesn't want to go watch obituary at saint vitus then you know blow her off <laughs> that's a, that's actually uh well that's good advice in light of uh something that happened within the last two hours so <laughs> well but also you gotta look at it this way for you you're not just a guy who listens to fucking serious you know, extreme metal music it is literally part of your life and so if this person can't be down with that then they shouldn't you shouldn't bother with them at all because it's only going to create friction and resentment and it's not to think oh, maybe they'll grow into it yeah you know, you, you should know as well as I do, if not even better, part of extreme metals, uh, conceptual building blocks is, uh, yeah, there's a barrier of entry and the music itself is that. And if you don't like this music, good. Don't come here. Don't ever show up. Don't wear our merch, which has been something over the last like five, six years become pretty prominent. Like you're a fucking poser. Don't wear our shit loser. Don't make it think like, you know, dipshits like you listen to this music because they don't go away, you know, all the way up to people like the Kardashians. Just looking at them going, no, don't wear that. Don't wear Slayer. You don't listen to Slayer. Fuck off. You know what I mean? Don't pollute our thing that we have that everybody pretty much starves to do for their life and then use it as some sort of trite fashion idea, but except None of you are buying anything from the band. You're just buying old rehashed, recycled old shirts that somehow made it somewhere where some fashion repurposer then just amped them up to a high degree because they saw the Kardashians wearing it. And now they're trying to just make big profits instead of literally giving a shit about the music that goes along with that merch. So it would be like for me, like I'm not, I was, I've, was never going to really settle with anyone that didn't want to go to like merciful fate or some shit like that. It's just there. It's not, it's non-negotiable. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. That's, uh, I mean, this, this is definitely, I would say the re- one, probably the reason why I get up in the morning is to write music and go on tour and perform music and just be part of the culture, you know, and, and, uh, you know, anyone who doesn't subscribe to that is, is someone I just can't have in my life, you know? No, it would be in a sense, depending on the, it, maybe this sounds a bit too, uh, 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 academic, but like the, the power dynamic, it depends, depending on the power dynamic and the relationship, I mean, it could actually be you bringing them along into something that you should, that you should know better. Like, you know what, this person is, they're going to be disappointed at the end of the day. They're never going to get into this. It's never going to work out. And now you're, you're dragging them along into something that you know, that is, they're just never going to get with. It's going to, it's just going to create a problem. Yeah. There, there's a certain, um, entry level just on, on that sort of topic you know there's sabbath slayer black flag are the bands that you at least have to have some kind of uh acknowledgement that those are brilliant bands and, uh, sure. and then all of the other things around that that means that you have the building blocks to appreciate things like watain and mayhem and you know neurosis like all these bands you know and then on the film level David Lynch you know, mm-hmm. I just I've recently had not, not not to get on the uh psychologist couch here but you know just had like a yeah you know, a little little thing come to an end and the person involved with me when I asked them if they like David Lynch or Roy Orbison they were like nah yeah it's okay <laughs> and I was like okay this this is definitely doomed yeah. you know what I mean it's not gonna work also you know you can tell when there is a potential because or to be to be to have at least uh what you could consider for an individual um a passing level of interest in a, in a particular aesthetic and then with that you can build on it and you know i think it's the kind of thing where or both sides should, should possess that where they're broadening each other's horizons, not making them double down into it because they loathe the other one so much in terms of what their artistic aesthetic is. That just, I mean, it's to the point that if I met a gal and getting and getting to know them, I found that they just have what I consider a horrendous sense of interior design and and just like living aesthetics no fucking way (laughs) it's just not happening there's something there about the way they're built about what they find pleasing about the world and how they want to have the world seen by them then i'm just like "Uh uh-uh i get you know it's not necessarily that makes you a bad person i just know that that's going to be a problem yeah it's just different you know and and i've i've come to that realization as well because uh you know, I try to conduct myself a certain way. I try to uh, have my living surroundings reflect the self-respect that I have for myself. You know what I mean? And I like to also have my personality reflected in the way that I, I uh, organize things here in, the, in uh, my little, you know, cave that I live in, you know. And uh, when I see that, not the other person not having that awareness it's definitely something that is a big turnoff for me sure yeah i I completely understand yeah 
So I, I've been a huge fan of your, your MMA career. Um, but what I don't know, and I'm not very knowledgeable about, and I know some of the listeners to the show are pro wrestling fans. And uh, I know that you're, you have your own promotion right now. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Well, um, for me, MMA and pro wrestling is two sides of the same coin. One being where you have what's called a uh, maybe a more predetermined environment and the other one where that isn't the case. But to me, the training, the philosophies, and even the, the intent, it's all got to be there. And even if you were to go and do some digging back into some of the most popular eras of uh, promoting professional wrestling around the world, like the 80s and the WWF and the WCW, you'll see that a lot of these rosters are comprised of legitimate high-level athletes and tough guys. Not necessarily, I mean, we didn't have MMA, but sure, there were martial artists, there were a lot of amateur wrestlers, ex-professional football players. Then when you go to Japan, uh, from like the 70s and even into the 90s, I would say yeah, even rolling into the 2000s, a lot of these individuals, male and female, uh, well, one, they, they train in a dojo system there in Japan where uh, you live there, you train there every day, you, you grow up through the ranks and uh, from a, uh, you know, like a neophyte uh, apprentice kind of position into earning your ability to get in the ring. And a lot of that training is not just simply weight training and uh, working on movements, but they they do what's called shoot training which means real and they train how to do legitimate submission holds amateur wrestling strikes and so on and so forth and the new japan pro wrestling is uh very notable for that because they brought over antonio and uh, antonio Inoki brought over carl gotch and their whole training was nothing but practically real fighting the whole time to the point that um, they would take out well, they call themselves the king of sports and they would say they were the world's strongest martial arts and martial artists would take offense and show up at their dojo and whoever is running the the gym that day if gotch was there he'd pick someone or if there was another senior person they'd decide who goes in there and they would beat the shit out of the these martial artists who would come to challenge them and that's just the way it was but for them as pro wrestlers at new japan and even for the pro wrestling um companies over here protecting the business was I think, maybe the second most important thing of all time besides just going out there and having great shows and, and maybe you can even argue it was number one but uh um the people needed to believe in it no matter how much you know that you might know about the business itself or even how much you just might be able to pick apart when you watch it the idea is that you don't break the four you don't break that uh um uh, sense of disbelief you just don't do it because it ruins your ability to truly get as deeply involved in what you're watching otherwise <clears throat> and so there were pro wrestling promotions in the u.s where you know of course they don't want you getting out going out and getting into fights and bars or anything like that it's bad press but if you get beat up by a normie or a civilian they might call them you're out they're going to kick you out of the company because you're supposed to be a, a, a bigger, larger-than-life, heroic interpretation 
you need to be tougher than some guy they can just see on the street. And uh, that's unacceptable. Not to mention they would hold uh, tryout type uh, sessions and they'd bring people in and they'd run them through a bunch of conditioning first to see, well, I mean, how serious are these guys even about being athletes? You know, what kind of shape are they in? Right. And then, then they put them through real legitimate wrestling matches and they throw submissions on these guys, just tear them up and generally just take their money and be like, okay, great. We'll call you. Don't call, don't call us. We'll call you. And then just nobody would make it for the most part. <laughs> and, and in one way it was a potential to, I think scout new talent, but they pretty much knew that most people just really didn't understand what they were going to be getting themselves into. And it was another good way to have that guy be out there in the world going, Oh yeah, you think this is fake? Well, I showed up to a tryout and this is what happened. to me. Yeah. It kind of plays into the whole storyline, you know, except that there's a reality component too. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's a lot like, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, pro wrestling is combat sports. You're watching people fight and someone's going to win. Uh, you know, you, the stories and the, the the elements around the psychology of what's going on, okay, fine. But at its root, it's you have, uh, let's just say, one individual and another individual, and they're going to get in the ring and fight each other until someone wins. And that's pretty simple. But if you can't, if you have no idea what a fight is, if you can't make people believe that what's happening matters, then you don't really have anything. What you, the closest thing you could have then is Cirque du Soleil. And to be perfectly honest, I'd rather have Cirque du Soleil than bad wrestling or wrestling with no real uh, fundamental element to it because the Cirque du Soleil people have such an insane uh, uh, barrier of entry, you're getting some of the baddest people at what they do in the entire world. So badass that if you can't fulfill your position for injury or whatever, there's always someone right behind you. The whole idea of uh, the understudy in drama and, and plays, well, there's always understudies and these people are always chomping at the bit to take your spot. And to get your spot, you already had to be one of the greatest in the world, like some insane athlete that has done has gone through such rigorous training as to seem like uh kung fu monk like from the old uh shaw brothers films like 36 chambers of shaolin type stuff oh yeah and then you've got three people or something like that right behind you <laughs> at all times as good if not perhaps even potentially better the insane level of competition that comes with that only creates the ability to create the shows that they have, which are insane. But, you know, um, I'm more about the passion and the combat and a story than I am about choreography, because you can watch that anywhere. But uh, with MMA, you have a lot of the same elements, you know, that you're out there watching an individual. You want to see that person's story. You want to see where they come from, where they're at, and how they continue and if they can bounce back after falling down if they uh their head gets too big or any number of general personal psychological drama that you could envision for any run-of-the-mill story that's been told a million times throughout all of history and now you get to see it unfold the techniques are different 
in, in most cases, but really the intent isn't so much at, at the end of the day. Why did you kick off your, uh, your own promotion? Uh, me and Brett Lauderdale started this together with GCW, which is Brett's company. I think in 20, when was that? 2019 or maybe 2018. Okay. For Burnett's blood sport. They had done one before that just called GCW or Matt Riddle's blood sport. Matt Riddle, former UFC guy. Yeah. Now he's in WWE. Uh, and they had talked to me about wrestling on that show, but it just couldn't have been worked out that time for logistics. And when WrestleMania was coming around next year, because all the indie promotions run in the same town that WrestleMania takes place in, huge, momentous pro wrestling fan base all shows up in the same place. At the very least, you know, WrestleMania is going to have like 70, 80,000 people in the stadium on any one day if, if even if it's two days like they have been these last couple of years insane so that that alone is enough to bring everybody out but now it's become a thing where people come from all over the world just to be a part of the whole thing and uh wrestlemania week is like a, a gigantic celebration of of wrestling in general so matt riddle was picked up by the wwe so he'd no longer be able to do the show and I was approached if I would take over the mantle. And I said, yes. However, I, my conditions are that I book these shows. I work on the aesthetic that this, um, you know, I have a hand in training and picking these wrestlers and that I'm going to be involved in producing this thing to the, to the very core. And they said, sure. Okay. So from then, if anybody was has seen uh, Matt Riddle's Bloodsport to the Josh Burnett Bloodsport, or uh, if anybody is curious even from hearing this, want to go check it out, because I promise you it is not pro wrestling like you're used to. Uh, you only win by tap out or submission. The rules are very strictly enforced. Uh, we fight on a, uh, on a ring with no ropes so you can fall off the thing. Um, it is very much in a, more of an MMA conceptual space but uh it, i think you can see there's a drastic difference between the first matt riddle show and my first show and in fact we generally num we number from my first show and not from matt riddles not to be disrespectful in any way i just see them as is two different two different shows they're not the same so there's no there's no ropes so you, mm. you're saying you can fall off so you can't do any of that work like say like in uh you know mma grappling where you're working up against the fence or in boxing where you use the ropes there's none of that activity right no 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 there is no rope work uh or no pro wrestling rope work when you're not running them or anything like that um there's no turnbuckles to climb but uh some people have been shit canned right off the 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 three foot ring space to the floor so yeah, it, it creates a different uh, a different set of concerns. How often do you have events? We try to do about three or four a year. Oh, okay, cool. Is it, how how is it? How do you watch it? Is it a pay per view or you know? Yeah, we uh, we have it um, streaming on Fight TV. Okay, yeah, I'm familiar with that. And there's a few free matches out on YouTube as well that we put up. <laughs> One of the guys that I, I work with here at the podcast, he's a wrestling fan, and um, he 
turned me on to uh, Malachi Black actually, and he's huh. like, he's like, yeah, this guy, you should check him out. He's got a cool aesthetic, and he's um, he's using like round kicks and knees, and he's like like Muay Thai style uh, techniques. So it, I was interested in that. He used to train with Dirty Bob Schreiber, uh, an uh, old, uh, very early MMA fighter uh, uh, out of the Netherlands. And so he's been training some MMA, but mostly Thai boxing and kickboxing, yeah. uh, Dutch style for forever. Yeah. And uh, good dude, uh, great parents. <laughs> <laughs> not usually what you see people say, but yeah, I've met his parents. Uh, great guy, and someone I would love to have in uh, Bloodsport if uh, if I ever get the opportunity to to have a bit of his time away from AEW. I I started kind of digging into his story too, like with the you know the whole um, you know House Black and all that, and uh, I mean the aesthetic is exactly the kind of stuff I'm into. You know, I can tell this guy's probably read a bunch of, you know, stuff that I like, or he likes the same movies. He probably likes metal, like that kind of stuff. He definitely likes metal. That that I can promise you. <laughs> so, right. he's totally a metal dude. Yeah, it definitely comes across, for sure. So, I, what I was thinking, Josh, is, um, you know, everyone likes to come up with these lists of their favorite movies. But, we're in the new millennium. So I wanted to limit this this discussion to only things that came out after the year 2000. Because then there's like the, you know, the low-hanging fruit. Like, oh, yeah, my favorite movies, Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, Hellraiser, the classics. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I actually think that horror past 2000 has had some future classics that have entered into the canon. So I just wanted to, you know. We'll do five, our top five with some runner-ups. I uh, I think horror is still a viable, I mean, I'll, I'll preface all this by saying, in general, when I watch film, and I've watched a lot of film, I'm a big cinephile, and uh, I still watch plenty of movies, but generally, most of the time, and people that know me, that sit down and watch film with me, uh, know that I generally don't watch anything past like 1993. Okay. I find almost all modern cinema post 2000, we'll, we'll stick with that, awful, terrible, and not worth my time or my money. Uh, I don't go to the movies hardly ever anymore. Uh, only a few times, um, you know, here and there, maybe uh, maybe about three three to five times a year at best, because I find most of this stuff atrocious and written by people that have no fucking business be anywhere near a movie script. So I have to say right off the bat, I am a total grump Grinch about <laughs> modern cinema and I, I hate it. So, uh, however, horror has always been one of those genres that doesn't require a lot of money and always seems to get a, a decent return on its value. People love to be scared and there's a lot to work with and, if anything, you can start with something very simple, like the whole slasher slasher uh, genre, which I, I guess you could argue came about somewhere around. I, I don't consider Psycho really a slasher. No, no, absolutely not. No way. Um, but I would say it was like mid seventies, 
or late, maybe mid or late, late seventies. Cause I know there's gotta be some movie hanging around from the mid seventies. It just got misplaced, right? Like true fanatics will know about it, but it never really went anywhere, but it got in the right hands and that someone ran with that. I know the burning is pretty big uh, as considered a, one of the er slashers, let alone uh, Friday the 13th, the first, which I think is, they're about the same time. Maybe one's 80 and the other one's 81. I can't quite recall which one's older, but I'm sure there's got to be something prior to that. Um, so that's, if you want to, if you want to fucking flag me on the internet about picking the wrong movie or something as the, as the, as the starting point, then, you know, have fucking, have at it. I would have given my, my, uh, uh, I forget the term. Anyway, I've already given my out on this, but, uh, but it still has a lot of weight. And I think there has been actually, I have a small list in front of me and out of that list, the five that I picked, uh, but it wasn't really that easy. And I'm not even, I'm also gonna, uh, you know, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not call them my favorites exactly either, but, uh, I know it seems cheap, but that's kind of the way I am with movies in general, because a lot of it has to do with, how I'm feeling, what my mood is and what aesthetic I want. So that's my, uh, those are my caveats. Well, so then this was a bit of a challenge for you then, right? Uh, somewhat. I mean, yeah. it wasn't super hard, but I didn't feel bad about anything I picked. And I feel it's more, I have more concern about what I left off. Cause I think even in this small list that I was going through until I found five, I'm like, these totally can fit the bill. I, I could have went super autistic about this but I, I did not. Uh, and yet plenty of good stuff and good for all different reasons. One of the things I really like about horror, you know, as a genre is that, uh, similar to metal, you know, it's, it, even though it is a limited sort of, there, there are boundaries of the creative spectrum, but that if you work within those boundaries, there's a certain freedom that you, uh, you have, you know, I feel like, there's some of the more creative uh, filmmaking takes place within the horror genre and some of the more creative music writing takes place within the metal genre. And that's why, to me, those two things are always been very close, you know, to me. I agree with that. And, uh, and you're right. There is a particular framing or like a, you are, once you decide you're going to make a horror film, that does put you inside a box. There is a set of limitations put around you. However, watch oh a ton of, and I think sci-fi also falls into the same yes. uh, conceptual space, but look at uh, a ton of movies that you, that you just really like that aren't horror movies and just think about it only really takes a couple little things to turn it from Forrest Gump into a horror film <laughs> or... Um, Let's see, uh, not a horror movie, but uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan could be a horror film, right? You can add, it doesn't even have to go supernatural. It doesn't have to be taken to an extreme degree. Like you don't have to wander outside of the frame of the, the film itself in terms of its plotting and its premise and its location and its environment to make it a horror film. You could easily make it a horror film without going off the rails. And that's one of the things that's great about horror is that horror is really 
sometimes just a matter of just a few different um, choices, really. And that's it. And all of a sudden, that movie goes from a comedy to, oh, shit. You know, this is this is awful. <laughs> there and was, uh, there was last, I think it was last year, there was a, a drama that came out called Humans. Have you heard of that? Uh-uh. It's uh, basically a family drama, but it's shot like a horror film. And, you know, I, ironically, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes family dramas, you know, can be horror, <laughs> horrible, I guess. Well, you know? yeah, ironically, I can't, I can't imagine keep someone making an ironic film. <laughs> but there, there's actually no irony in the film, though. Like okay. Maybe just that premise, but there's no humor. But there's just this uh, sense of unease throughout the entire movie. And it's uh, very well acted. It takes place in, in an apartment in New York City. Like, uh, I think judged by the judging by the streets, it's like somewhere outside the financial district in that area. area. Well, then there's already unease. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> being in that claustrophobic environment. But um, it's really well acted. It's I think it's uh, uh, Showtime. It's like one of, maybe one of their original productions. But that's where I saw it. And I think it's still streaming on there. And it's just slow moving, a lot of dialogue, a lot of, but just that heavy brooding like sort of atmosphere and uh i was discussing that with some friends and i was like man it, you know is this a horror film you know but they're like well you know no one gets killed there's no you know but just the tone is, is sure. like very much in that same aesthetic well horror films in new york are uh pretty well hand in hand especially with one of my favorites like maniac or uh if you want to go real <laughs> shitty film uh shoestring exploitation crap uh the tenement i think it's called or something like that from the early 80s like just the random drugged out street gang shuts down uh um uh, basically takes over a uh uh like a what would you call it like a like a flop house nah, not flop house is the way to put it but like uh you know some some uh you know, really run down apartment building in some really derelict place in New York where the cops aren't and nothing, you know, you're on your own and they just take over the building and just start fighting, attacking, killing people in it. And it just gets into a, a fight between the, uh, the tenants and this <laughs> random street gang, which has all the aesthetics of the eighties. Everyone's got leather jackets and uh, you know, tattoos and di uh, dagger shaped earrings and, random uh handkerchiefs <laughs> hither and thither and studs it's great oh yeah this is definitely uh like a vhs rental for me when i think i was in high school yeah well uh a lot of this stuff it's it's far less now but uh, uh and i think that has to do with some different production or i should say rights uh agreements and, and how certain catalogs have been picked up or found or able to be distributed and try to make a buck off them now but uh like about 10 years ago up until about eight maybe until about about six years ago uh youtube had a ton of just weird weird rare uh hard to find the shit that you would look at the uh the cover art on the on the vhs tape in the rental stores like what the hell you know and of yeah. course you put it in the vhs and the player and you're like um that's a lie. That guy's not in this movie. That chick's not in this movie. This scene never happened. 
but a ton of this stuff, especially old weird. I got on a big kick uh, watching all the Mad Max Escape from New York ripoff films, the Italian. Oh, the, uh, the new Barbarians like that. All yeah. Every yeah. single one of them. Texas yeah. Gladiators, 20, 2020 Texas Gladiators, the uh, uh, all the Escape from the Bronx films, three of them, even though I think there's technically only two and the third one's not related, but they just marketed it as such. Um, um, yeah, the new Barbarians. There's also Rome 2072, the new Gladiators. That's oh, I haven't seen that one. That sounds That's great. A film. It, it's fantastic. Love it. And uh, and just, you know, digging through all this stuff. Uh, After the Fall of New York, an interesting one. Battle Truck, Warrior of the Wasteland. And they go on and on. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, man. So let's let's get into our list here. Uh, since you're the guest, uh, you can go first. Uh, because you made mention of uh, constant tension throughout a film and an unsettling, um, as, I don't want to say aesthetic. It's like a, it's just a vibe that keeps it constantly unsettling. I'll say the color out of space from 2019 by uh, uh, why, why am I forgetting this director's name? Richard, uh, Richard Stanley. Exactly. Uh, I know he's really famous for uh, the what is it the island of dr moreau stuff which is quite hilarious the fact that the guy would dress up as a mutant and sneak onto the set and see what's going on but uh i actually love richard stanley for two things uh first and foremost because one of my absolute favorite love films i, I just it, it is if you're sick and you gotta curl up and watch something this is one i'll I, i'm likely to go to and that's hardware Oh yeah, from 1990 or something like that. Love that film, and uh, uh, feels of the Nephilim videos. <laughs> yeah, Blue Water. Yep, sick band, cool videos. Great director, but uh, I love the color out of space. Not for Nick Cage or anything like that. Nothing trivial, but I felt like as a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, that he did a good job of instilling dread and tension and anxiety while you watch the film in you the viewer especially where there would be these scenes for minutes it would seem like go on where you just hear this high-pitched noise the whole time and i loved that aspect that it's it's trying to unsettle you as you're watching the film so as as the characters themselves are unsettled but the thing is there's it's not described it's not explained because it really couldn't be because nobody knows anything and they don't even know what they don't know about any of this stuff. So they're dealing with it in the same way you are. Why is there this weird high pitched noise running through the movie? Cause there is, and it's not a very violent film uh, for those that are into the gore and all that. But I just think it really kind of nails the Lovecraftian way about going about it. I know it's much brighter at times and more lit film then you might consider lovecraft but not every story lovecraft wrote was about dark gloomy constantly rained on wet rhode island locations or weird islands and cities in the middle of the sea or in the mountains or whatever right it's not all about the old ones this story has nothing to do with any of that i think they did a great job I, I'm a huge Richard Stanley fan, and actually, this appears on my list too. So, just the cat's oh. out of the bag now. 
you know. Oh, awesome. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I th- also, you know, Stuart Gordon's made some adaptations or films yes. inspired by Lovecraft, which I like, yeah. but they're not Lovecraft. Even the anthology really. one, too, called Necronomicon. Yes. It does have a bit of one of my favorite actors, uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs. Yes. That guy is underrated as fuck. That guy is in, I love him in so much stuff. Him and the Frighteners is one of the absolute best things. And his voice acting work is also incredible. And if I I ever get a chance, go see his one man Poe play. I've heard so many great things about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Stanley is probably one of the only people that can do justice to adapting a weird fiction or cosmic horror story like this to film you know and uh i was so excited about this movie when i heard it was coming out i saw it at the in the theater actually i saw it at the ifc in manhattan mm. and i remember um yeah I, it was it was in the afternoon i went to a matinee and i was like uh my job and i was like i got i got to go to a meeting i'll see you guys i'll, I'll be out for a couple hours <laughs> i just took the train down to the ifc and i uh just watched the movie and there was like you know like four people in the theater and uh it was totally time well spent. It was great. I totally enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I actually got a little choked up, man, honestly, because Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard were like the two big writers for me when I was like, you know, 12, 13 years old, starting to I get into reading. Uh, if you add um, uh, uh, Michael Moorcock. Oh, yeah. That, oh, there's, that's a, me too, yeah. There's, there's a new Elric book out, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I just ordered uh, it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I loved all that stuff. And uh, and then you go and you find out that Howard and Lovecraft knew each other and they wrote one another. All makes sense. Yeah, there, there's actually a, a two-volume collection of their their uh, correspondences. Badass. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. Um. So, yeah, I, I give high, high, high rating to Color Out of Space. So my number five is a film called Resolution by uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Are you, are you familiar with these guys? Nope, I am not. They're, they're sort of, um, I would say, inspired by Lovecraft, actually. They, they, they tell these slow-moving, dialogue-heavy stories that have to do uh, with, like, cosmic topics. You know, like weird time travel things, uh, interdimensional stories. And they have a series of films. They have Resolution. They have a sequel to it called The Endless. And they and another film just was released just within the last few weeks or a month or so ago called uh, Something in the Dirt. And they're all related. They're all building this uh, this universe like a mythos. Similar to, you know, what Lovecraft did with his uh, Cthulhu mythos. Okay. And, um, yeah, there's, like, this doomsday cult. Um, nothing's really explained, you know? So they give interpretations of what the characters think are, is going on. But you're kind of... It's, it's very similar to the idea of, of the color out of space, where it's like a... Um, no one's ever seen that color before. So the film is just the characters reacting to this this thing. 
And that's what I mean that the resol- that resolution is Lovecraftian because there's this cosmic phenomenon going on in the in the story, and what you're seeing is the characters reacting to that, and it's just like a the first time I watched the movie, I didn't, I actually didn't like it, and but as time went on, I ke- I kept thinking about this film, and then I went back and I revisited it, and and that and it started to make sense to me more, mm. and now it's like one of my favorite films. I will look into this. I, I read up a read up on a little bit as you were talking to me. Okay, yeah, and the fact that they have this broader concept to come with it, and uh, and there is the, the UFO cult element. Uh, there is a, a movie on my list. Well, no UFOs necessarily. I don't think that I don't think it involves UFOs, but yeah, weird cults do come involved. Actually, two of my movies involve weird cults. Uh, that that's always a good thing for me. I love I love stories about cults. Three, yeah. three of them, four of them, arguably. Well, no. shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll uh, I'll follow up with a little bit more Nick Cage. I people could argue whether this is horror or not. I think it's a horror film, and Mandy uh, <laughs> is on my list, uh, partly because it's metal as fuck. Oh yeah. But two. I really like uh, the director. I'm a fan of his stuff. Uh, He did Beyond the Black Rainbow, uh, which it took me a while to get through because I kept falling asleep as I'm watching it. However, I didn't take that as a movie that was doing a bad job. I actually felt that that made me like the film even more because he would disorient you and drown you in color uh visuals the visuals not just including color but the 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 framing the the movement of the lens itself the music everything was so fantastically blended together to create this very specific mood and aesthetic that these scenes in this movie that beyond the black rainbow they're going the fact that it kept putting me out was because they're trying to it's like numbing you into this weird state of to relay the 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 place that the main character is being held in with mandy he does the same thing and he just it's like he twists this knob and it just infuses whatever you're watching with a certain visual sound and color concept that just is as much a part of the movie as anything else. And I find that so much of modern film completely blows that. They just lose that altogether. And, and, and even a movie that doesn't have the most salient plot is okay with me if they can deliver on these experiences that make you feel differently about what you're watching and where you're at. And Mandy, I mean, as soon as they blow that weird whistle and these freaking these psycho demon... Uh, insane bikers show up uh i'm just like whoa this uh, all i want to do is watch movies about shit like this that's fucking cool and nick cage actually delivers a very well put together performance his insanity makes sense the giant celtic frost acts yes. sick uh, just, uh the movie is such a uh it's like it's supercharged on nitromethane and i love it 
That's also on my list. <laughs> uh, yeah, Panos Cosmatos. That's the filmmaker, man. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's uh, uh, George Cosmatos' son who directed uh, uh, Cobra. Yes. Also, film. Dude, I just watched Cobra like two days ago. Again, it's on uh, I, every, every like maybe eight or nine months I put that movie on. It's so good. It's really underrated. I mean, it is absolutely a giant... Sylvester Stallone masturbatory expression, but it's awesome. And it also delivers in aesthetics. It's just such an aesthetic masterpiece. It, it absolutely is very much of its time. And that's a good thing. I like how uh, there's the scene where he cuts the pizza with like this, uh, these like industrial <laughs> scissors. <laughs> uh, yeah, his, his gun cleaning uh, kit is in the fridge. That doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, that, anyways, oh, he doesn't even have a fucking holster for his fucking 1911 45. <laughs> just right. sticks it in his waistband. You're like, what? <laughs> what? No, you can't. No. <laughs> but that that's it's a film that yeah. is one of those border films where it kind of is a horror film, really. You know, it's about yeah, a death guy, cult, you know? Yes, the bad guys were very disturbing when I first saw that. With the crazy, you know, they're pulling uh, nylons over their face, but then this like covered in spikes and banging the the axes together and stuff in weird industrial settings with like flames and sparks, and <laughs> it was fucking great. One one of the another you know another notable scene in there, which I thought was actually really funny, and this always sticks out to me every time I watch the movie, is when the the main uh, cult murderer you know that real jacked guy that you know that they uh, fight uh, uh, brian uh brian i forget his last name he's also he gets killed in the terminator in the beginning oh that's yeah. right yes actually uh brian, yeah yeah God, brian yeah. something he's also in a cynthia rothrock uh uh kung fu flick along with um why am i forgetting his name i've seen him and he's so great in so many things uh this australian martial arts guy richard uh norton and uh uh he's he plays cynthia rothrock's long lost brother who's also a kung fu master and oh, ew, cool. uh, his, his kung fu is fucking awful but it's an interesting film and i do like uh i do like that dude yeah he's cool and he looked insane the, the scene where he breaks in he goes into the <laughs> hospital which i thought he he dyes his hair black and he puts on that that work uniform and the glasses, and he actually yeah. looks like five times sketchier than he does <laughs> in, in his normal street clothes. You know what I mean? Like he just looks even more sketchy, like in disguise. You know, he's trying to blend in. You know? Yes. No, I agree. It, it's it's hard to make that guy not look like a psychopathic serial killer. <laughs> and then those knives, those where whoever designed those, it was probably like one of those you know, uh, gas station knife kind of companies, but yet those things live on how many black metal album covers have used those? Oh, uh, dude, I, I yeah. own knives. like that. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Why not? I thought they were sick as shit when I was a kid. Hell yeah. Apparently Stallone had a script that was way more over the top with the violence. And uh, um, that was he wanted to go really extreme with that movie, but I that, wouldn't be uh, surprised. I wouldn't be surprised considering how John Rambo was. Whoa, yeah, that movie 
just people exploding left and right. Yeah, that was that was pretty pretty brutal. That was like more like this kind of like grindhouse like exploitation film, you know. Yes, it was like some of those uh, late seventies, early eighties nom exploitation flicks. Yeah, or even like uh, the beginning of the the Exterminator, the first one. Yes, takes place in New York, uh, where that dude gets his head whacked right off in the beginning of the film. It's pretty brutal. Or uh, wow, this one. No, uh, Cannibal Apocalypse takes place in like the city itself, not back on uh in vietnam i guess that doesn't exactly count but yeah there's plenty of exploitation jungle war exploding head stuff i gotta revisit those man i haven't watched those movies in a while i've been meaning to watch strike commando and strike commando too <laughs> just to see how, how, how good or bad those are oh uh i also heard that cobra came about because they originally went to Sylvester Stallone for Beverly Hills Cop. And he basically wanted to make Cobra. So he wanted like all the little things his character was going to do that you see in Cobra. He wanted that in Beverly Hills Cop. And after a while, they're like, uh, no, fuck this. We're not doing any of this. No. <laughs> and so then he went off to make Cobra. That's crazy, man. That In Beverly Hills Cop, that, that adds a whole new dimension to uh, what that movie could have been. <laughs> no, I'll take Axel Foley, though. <laughs> all right so my number four is uh terrifier two uh which came out this year actually by uh long island native uh damian leone and uh, uh -huh. i saw this in the theater definitely long could have been edited but i really think this is like we were talking about slashers earlier. This is like yeah. the uh, 21st century uh, slasher. You know, it's funny. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Um, but remember I said that I had films that I thought were overrated? Yeah. Terrifier from 2016 is on that. Because I watched it and I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of gore. But this movie just seemed tryhard to me. And it's not horrible by any means for what you're getting and you you should know exactly what you're getting as soon as you well if you're holding the box in your hand uh, god i'm really dating myself but if you did any uh minimal amount of research you, you know what this film's going to be but i was kind of like what is this just 99 tiers but with a bigger budget and it just doesn't I, I don't know i just it couldn't it couldn't catch me i kept looking at this being like this is preposterous and well, probably most people don't even know what 99 tears is either. The, the, the first one, I was like a little, you know, middle of the road on that. You know, I thought, I'm like, wow, this is like a really rough movie. You know, there's a lot of like extreme shit going on. But the story was kind of like whatever. But the second one, I got to be honest with you, man. There's, there's like uh, some world building that goes on. It, um, there's, a, there's like depth to it that was missing in the first one and um I, i'm a fan you know I, I back it and uh i also back uh damien's uh work work ethic to put this whole thing together too okay yeah yeah, yeah. well i'm you know i'm not here to 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 hate oh, i'm sorry a hundred tears is the name of the movie i was thinking of uh which is also about uh killer clown 
And so when I saw Terrifier, I was like, uh, it's just a hundred tiers with a bigger budget. Yeah. Um, but everybody knows that, you know, clowns in general are pretty creepy and the Terrifier clown is quite creepy. Uh, and yeah, there's some extreme stuff, but just some of it in the movie, I'm just, I, I don't know. It just didn't, you couldn't get me to buy into it. I just felt like I was just watching a bunch of stuff happen. So not to say that, uh, so many of the Italian, uh, horror films that I watched were all that different, but, uh, I don't know. There was just something about it. It just didn't quite catch me, but. I'm not saying it's a bad film. It's just a movie that everyone ranted and raved about so much. I'm like, ah, I, I ain't the guy. I was and actually surprised on how many find that somewhere. It's, it's if you're into gore, it's got plenty of that. I was actually surprised on how how big of a hit it was for how just like extreme the movie was. You know? Yes, I, I did not expect people to be all ramped up on it. But then again. You know, uh, new metal was also really big at one time too. <laughs> it's coming back. I heard. No, that's just said by the fucking people that want to want that to be a thing because they remember 1996. No, some places in the country it never went away. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the insane clown posse still exists too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Terrifier too. Well. Um, I've done Colorado Space and Mandy. Uh, I'll go with something a little further back, and I'll go with Martyrs from Frank. <laughs> That's also on my list. <laughs> oh. So I've already named three movies on your list. Yes, those are my well, top three. Actually, we think alike. But Martyrs is not only will it deliver all the like extreme visuals that will just absolutely have you crawling out of your skin and maybe thinking I. Perhaps I should never watch this movie. Uh, but also, I think it's got a very, very clever plot. Very well acted. It is not a movie if you are afraid, not of being scared or anything like that, or even for the extreme gore visuals. If you think you can stomach that, okay. It's just that this thing whole is wrapped up in such a nice little tight bow of extreme nihilism that it could really fuck with a person's spiritual and mental state. It really could. I 100% agree with that. Like that, that's really what I remember about the movie. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of gore. There's like brutality. Um, you know, I'm not a big uh, torture porn sort of fan. Like, I'm not into like the hostile movies. And uh, but there's there's some. Just... Even though I've watched plenty of movies that have torture porn in them, because uh, well, anyways, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not against it, but I'm not a fan. Like, I'm not like one of these guys who's like really into that. But there's that's what when I was watching this movie, I'm like, this is the last word on that genre, that subgenre. But that's not even the stuff that disturbed me. It was. Um, like the message in this movie is on par with like a Thomas Ligotti like short story of just like pessimism and just this black nihilistic ending. And and the ending even is kind of unresolved in some ways. You know, it is, it is unresolved. And 
in a way that only makes it more bleak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that's the thing is you get all the way through it and you're just left in this position and, and movies that don't resolve cause a lot of problems for people in general, considering the content matter of this film. Uh, it, it, it only heightens what that dread and nihilism is. And, and I, I saw this film uh, like right when it hit the States, you know, back in like 2008, 2009. And it was like right, right at the height of like my fascination with all this, like, you know, death and, you know, like all that sort of those kinds of meditations. So this movie came at least to hit the States right around the same time. That was like, a very intense like you know reflection on my part yeah i uh i mean the french have been cranking out some pretty gnarly stuff in the last yeah 10 15 years oh, yeah. uh and this is absolutely one of them uh yeah another movie that i had considered put on the list was uh high tension because uh i couldn't even i couldn't I, I couldn't finish the movie in the theater because my girlfriend that i was with at the time we went to watch it and with after the first opening salvo of the horror part of the film, she literally is like, I'm not watching this. I'm leaving. Uh-uh. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I do remember seeing the, the initial stuff and being like, oh, shit. Uh, but yeah, she, she did not handle that. We had to leave. Okay. But uh, uh, Martyrs, I think can deliver in the extreme aspects of it, but does so, you know, it does. It's, I mean, they're two very different movies, Martyr and High Tension, for and what makes them creepy, unsettling, what have you. But Martyrs, I think, hits on a kind of a, a deeper, more metaphysical level, whereas like High Tension, it just gets that grime. Plus, there's a few things about that plot that you're like, wait a second. Mm, I don't think that would have flied. I don't think that flies, but you'll forgive it anyways. You know the guy who made Martyrs, uh, Pascal Logier, was um, his name was assigned to the Hellraiser remake at one point. There's another reason why I don't watch modern film. I mean, the remake. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it. You know that it just that thing that just came out, which was I have no idea anything about. It's hard. It it's they should name it Heck. Razor, because it's like the lamest, most vanilla version of that type of idea that could have possibly been done. Was that Hellraiser on the spaceship movie again? Hellraiser Four. It made me wish for that movie. That's how bad this one was. Uh, Oh, by the way, Hellraiser Two is a great film. However, it could have been so much better than it was. Like there was just a couple plot changes they could have made. They could have made, and that movie would have been even better than Hellraiser One. In my opinion, Hellraiser one for me because it's ba- you know it's pretty much the same as the the Clive Barker story you know Hellbound and Heart and uh, yeah I, I I that's like that that's probably my, one of my top five all time favorite films and uh, it's a great film amazing horror film although I think the dad does a better job when he acts when he's being crazy than he does when he's trying to be a chill dad oh yeah when he's <laughs> Frank. When he's uh, his well, brother, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Technically, uh, wasn't he the guy in uh, Stepfather also? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he was also in, uh, I think, uh, Magnum Force. He was in like a Dirty Harry movie too. That guy. Uh okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. 
hands down, my favorite part of the Hellraiser, though, is uh, Sean Chapman. You know, the guy who plays Frank. That guy's like the best character ever. Pretty fucking dirty. <laughs> the, the gal, too, the wife, man. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. The funny thing about Frank and uh, allegedly in, in the movie, there that's his brother. Okay. Yeah. Yet they look nothing alike. Like nope. Frank, Frank is like a, like he looks like he's from Staten Island or something like that, you know, with the black shirt and the gold chain and, you know. It makes it's it's kind of hard to believe that. Wait a second, that dude was this guy's best buddy brother, and also he married this woman that, that acts this way. I just can't see that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. So the cat's out of the bag on my uh, my top ones. My number three was Color Out of Space. Okay. Yeah. That you know, for all the reasons that we uh, we touched on. Um, you know, just Richard Stanley in general. I hope they, I hope they let him back. You know, he's had his problems, but, uh, in, in my, in the universe, if I was the, uh, Lord of this world, he would, he would still be making films, but you know, nice Sabbath reference. What, what, what are you going to do? You know, he's, <laughs> uh, I don't control yeah, these I'd, things. I'd want him to do more hardware, uh, related films myself. And I don't want him to use any CGI. I want him to use just the same level of grimy, lived-in analog shit that he had in the first one. Yeah, totally. That that Mark V robot looked awesome. Uh, you had uh, cameos. You had Lemmy in the first yep. in that in that film. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. The voice of Iggy uh, Pop. Yep. And by the way, if anyone goes to watch Hardware, you got to find the unrated one. Yeah. Because there's like an extra uh, seven or eight minutes of that film, maybe even ten, that are just. It, it, I see you could cut them and it'd still be a good movie because when I first saw it, I saw it without those and I loved it, but it's better with them. It really is. There's actually another cameo with uh, Carl McCoy in the very yep. beginning. He plays the, uh, the guy wandering the wasteland in the movie and sells him the, uh, the Mark V. Dressed exactly the way he dresses when he performs with uh, Fields of the Nephilim. <laughs> yes, post-apocalyptic cowboy. Yeah. So, uh, so, so I guess you saw the um, the documentary uh, that Lost Souls documentary with the uh, the Doctor Moreau. I've just seen stuff all on it. I haven't actually gone out of my way to track it down yet. The doc's pretty cool. It kind of makes you uh, see some of the actors in a different light, you know, and uh, Mm. you know that the just the complete abortion that that production turned into. Well, I mean, crazy stuff like, what was it, uh, uh, Marlon Brando insisting on the, the weird little mini-me version of himself? Yes, yeah. Oof. But, uh, you know, I guess if you're trying to be creepy, it's kind of cool. But the effects on the creatures, the mutants or whatever, is uh, a bit shoddy. The cool thing about that doc is... Um... It shows you this uh, this artwork that that Richard Stanley had done for his uh, designs on all the creatures and you know like like if you give that guy a project like he goes deep you know what I mean and that's what I love about him and I and I like I said I hope he comes back I hope he's able to make films on a on a somewhat more you know large scale you know. Hmm. 
Yeah, me too. I'd like to see more of his stuff. So let's see. Uh, well, then I'll move along with something a bit different with uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh, yeah. Which I think you could call it a horror film. Yeah. Um, it is It is entirely tongue-in-cheek and derivative of the genres that it is homaging. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it because it, was, it, it embraced it so much and went so over the top uh, that I just fucking thought it was a blast. And also, it made my friend that I brought with me, who's a, an actor, but he's, he's 6'5", 230, jiu-jitsu black belt, you know, big, uh, very commanding person, uh, super was a, the most proficient ladies man I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, squirm in his chair. <laughs> You know, like the scene, uh, you know, they, they they launch that dude's head off into a giant fountain of blood in the beginning of the movie. And then there's and then when they at some point later on, when the uh, the lawnmower gets turned on and, and ran into people, it's like, oh, God. And he just was just all over the place. I'm laughing my ass off at him squirming so much. But I also like the. I thought it was hilarious and how some of the writing was. It didn't come off as up its own ass or trying to be too heavily ironic. Um, I also dug this weird little, it seems like a, some kind of alternate universe thing crossing paths with this film where there's these, this video game about two demons and they just show up in real life. It, never explained. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it, I don't need it to. I loved it. They were so fucking cool looking and just random, fine. But uh, again, this movie, like aesthetic and feel, it, it nails it. And and Rucker Hauer does a great job as playing this insane hobo with a shotgun. Oh, yeah, man. Rutger Hauer, you, you can't really go wrong with him in a, in a movie, you know. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, another well well done Rucker Hauer film. Uh, it's Paul Verhoeven's first U.S. film called Blood Blood uh, uh, oh God, Blood Blood and oh God damn it, why am I why am I uh, Blood and I want to say Blood and Tears, and it might be that I'm just blanking on the name. Uh, Great film, uh, medieval, well done. Was also the basis or inspiration a lot of it for the comic book, the manga, uh, Berserk, uh, because they approached um, doing uh, blood, flesh and blood. Oh Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, when you said mo the comic version of that, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. This is I, I've definitely seen this. Yeah, flesh and blood. Yeah. So it was a. Uh, very much an inspiration to that that comic uh mirasan uh because of the grittiness and down and dirtiness of medieval combat and everything that it showed in it and so he was really inspired to to do something with that level of realism and starkness with with his manga but uh yeah flesh and blood is 
fantastic. Although um, I think this is probably Tom Berlinson's best performance because I watched him in some movie called The Time Guardian, some cheesy sci-fi flick from Australia, and he was absolutely awful. Like he didn't know how to act whatsoever. <laughs> but the movie's still kind of fun in its own way. Uh, but it's yeah, it's garbage. Another, another good Rutger Howard film is um, The Hitcher. Have you seen that? I tell people that that movie is really quite terrifying. Yeah. And there is a set of, sense of dread that runs through that thing. And the way a couple characters in that film get killed, how they get killed, and when just completely blows you away. Like you were just not ready for that. And all of a sudden, bam, it's just smashing you right in the face. Yeah, that that's uh, the thing I like about that film is is uh, the real sense of uh, loneliness of like traveling, you know, in the mm -hmm. desert by yourself, like the, the shots, like the nighttime driving and all that stuff. That that part of it was really cool, I thought. Yeah, really well done movie. I remember seeing that back in the 80s, and just being super freaked out as a kid, way more than I expected to be. Yeah, back a bunch of years ago, we recorded in Dallas, and um, we, you know, we played shows on the way down there. Uh, you know, we did the drums, the bass. Then those guys flew home, <laughs> and, and I was down there to do the guitars and vocals, and you know, sat in with you know most of the mixing, and then I had to drive the van with all of our gear in it back to New York by myself, and. Um, you know, going through Texas and Oklahoma and all that. And I, and I kept thinking about this movie on that drive, you know. Mm. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Well, Hobo with a Shotgun, uh, it's not, I know some people would probably like to, like, lump it in there with, like, Manborg, which is not a horror film, and it's, no, it's nothing like that. And it's not like... Uh, what was that fucking kung fu whatever movie that they did um, that came out on the internet, which was fun, but just nonsense. Uh, and it's not even quite like Turbo Kid, which I actually really do like, but uh, it has more it has more in common with Turbo Turbo Kid than any of those others. So, uh, yeah. In in a weird way, Hobo with a Shotgun reminded me almost more like like Street Trash or something like that, you know. Like it a, does have some similarity to Street Trash, which is also great film, awful film, will make you feel terrible after you watch it in ways you did not expect. But uh, it, it's so much of its time and of its era, the dialogue will just crack you the fuck up. And or really, some, you know, some Gen Z kid watching this will just be sat on their ass like, whoa, they used to say shit like this on television? Well, no, not on TV, but in uh, straight to video, yes, they did. Also, that same Gen Z kid living in uh, Greenpoint in Brooklyn will trip out, trip out on what that neighborhood looked back looked like back in the late seventies, early eighties, for sure. Oh, that's a good point because I bring up to people all the time. I go, "You have no idea what New York City or L.A. used to be like in the eighties and seventies. It was an incredibly dangerous place to be." And so you'd see these L.A. movies where. People end up in downtown, and of course, then all of a sudden, everything goes fucking haywire. All hell breaks loose. And you know, nowadays, as much as downtown LA is, is very fastly becoming, uh, if it isn't already, uh, quite a dangerous place. But it's 
it used to be not brightly lit, far more uh, barren, uh, creepy, dark, and almost like some kind of undiscovered country than it is now. Uh, and New York had a huge problem with gangs and violence, whereas you get movies like The Warriors or uh, Maniac or uh, The Executioner, uh, all these other different, or The Exterminator, these different uh, types of films of that nature of uh, Death Wish, Death Wish 2 and 3, all that stuff. Like, there was serious crime issues in New York, and uh, people just can't imagine that it could ever have been that bad. Exactly. You know, and, and people comment on New York now. I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. You know, crime is a little bit on the rise, but, you know, people really don't know how bad it was, you know. Another thing about Flesh and Blood that always so weird to me, the font and the, the way that that, that uh, title is put together is, the, is essentially the same as the uh, uh, Roxy Music album cover i gotta i gotta look this up so strange even though they have nothing to do with each other imagine if brian ferry was like a big um fan of this film Uh, you never know yeah that's that's actually i could see that i I have the uh the graphic up right now yeah yeah I, i don't know why they why they have that uh, uh, similarity, but there it is. Came out in 85. Maybe, maybe, maybe they took it from the Roxy Music album cover, in fact. I think because that must have come out before. Uh, when did that come out? 1980. Yeah, so I guess... Okay. Uh, I guess they saw it and thought, oh, that looks fucking great. Why don't we just use it as a movie title? Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> uh, also, great cover. Uh, Roxy Music, uh, Flesh and Blood. Back when uh, album covers were super awesome. Uh, all right. So, all right. Hobo with a shotgun. What do you got? Well, I know. I already yeah. know. Well, it's, it's either <laughs> one of two. So, uh, yeah. Mart- Martyrs is my number two. Okay. Yeah, and anyone out there is listening to this, be sure to avoid the completely unnecessary U- U.S. remake of this film. Oh, that's right. They remade this. Yeah, Ugh. they fucked it up, of course. Yeah. Uh, they, re- they, they remade a lot of stuff and ruined them, honestly. This is like, let the right one in. Oh, Mark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will give him some slack in that I thought the Suspiria remake was good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I am not one of those haters. I, I love the Argento, you know, Suspiria, Inferno, like those films are great, but the uh, the remake was fine, man. It's a different type of movie. It was cool. Though. It is a different type of movie. It really is, but I think it delivers, it tells the story slightly different. Well, maybe not even slightly different. It tells it differently, but hits the notes. It's not going to be the same film for the same reason, the same aesthetics, but it what that film is about, it nails it. And I love it. And I had a great time with it. And the end of the movie had my friend going, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> and uh, it takes a very, a much more direct path than Argento did with Suspiria, but it's also got a lot more money. So there is that. Yeah. 
Inferno's not bad, but pretty hokey. Yeah, I, I still I still really love that movie though. I the two of those are, are great watches, I think. Isn't there a third film in that, that whole series? Yeah, that one I don't like actually. That's more... oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Inferno, yeah, yeah I, I went and sought it out. I watched it of course and enjoyed it uh for what it was. Uh I like Suspiria better. Although I remember as a kid, well, I say a kid, like teenagers, uh, teenage years, uh always searching these lists of most gruesome or the most shocking horror films of all time. And I would always go and find these lists and go rent all these movies as much as I could find. So, you know, you got your sallows and guinea pigs and all that kind of stuff, uh, cannibal Holocaust, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and a lot of movies people have never even heard of like, uh, Pinocchio, 964 or some shit like that from japan or uh uh um ebola syndrome oh yeah yeah I remember. Um, yep. man behind the sun that one i think that one just had got like some special like blu-ray release i think arrow put it out i just remember reading about like, that you know something the arrow and uh there's a couple others there's arrow there's blue underground I, I I can never disassociate Blue Underground from they released uh, a manual in America. Not well, they did that one, but also the manual and the Last Cannibals, which I just knew as a Skinamax flick as a manual something unprepared. You know, you're sitting there as a kid, like I'm gonna see hot titties and all this stuff, and then people start getting gut munched, and you're, it just kills your boner. Yeah, like yeah, no, like, totally. What the fuck is happening in this film? This is not an Emmanuel film. What's <laughs> going on? Uh, but uh, uh, fuck, lost my point. Doesn't matter. Yeah, great films exist, uh, and you should watch them. So I guess it's down to me now. Uh, we're last last ones. So I put this movie up at the top because I liked it a lot. And I think it really did an excellent job uh, with what it was trying for. Uh, great effects in the movie, very unsettling uh, uh, aesthetics and uh, mood to the film, which I liked a lot. Uh, also not a place you think it's going to end up taking you, which I enjoy as well. And it's a Turkish film called Baskin. Yes. And that movie just really caught me by surprise and I loved it. I, I've read stuff on it where people were kind of nitpick this and that and like, nah, it, it doesn't matter. Like the, the, the whole is better than the complaint than the critiques by such a long margin. It's not even funny. And it got good press in like what you would call the horror PR, uh, uh, whatever that is, you know, but that's pretty limited. And so I tried to tell people if they're into horror movies, like, go, go check this out. This shit will probably make your skin crawl. And the dude they got to play the weird cult leader in the movie, just choose up the cinema, just choose up screen time. That guy just absolutely gathers your attention. <laughs> you know, whatever's going on just ain't fucking good. That's his real face, too. 
Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, what a, what a way to turn it around for him. Right. <laughs> Man. Yeah. That, that, that one's actually, um, I have a, that's, that's on my mentions Baskin. Cause I, I definitely quite fond of that movie. That movie was great. Yeah. I loved it. And it's, I felt like it could use a little bit more publicity here, but I, I think it really is a good film. I really do, especially for horror. And it's got that creepiness unexplained there's no reason for you to really know why you're just gonna have to deal with it so my number one's mandy that's the only one left out of the one <laughs> the ones that we had in common totally acceptable choice yeah and you know we've been talking about um you know just genre in general and how you have like kind of like a box and basically there's only a few stories really to tell but it's how you tell that story is what differentiates some of the better, you know, stories or movies, or books, whatever. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we went on about how we love uh, Panos Cosmatos and it's a fucking plot of Mandy. It's a revenge movie. Yes. You know? But there's so many excellent twists and turns and like, you know, set pieces and all this stuff. But the thing, the thing that resonated with me is you feel like his like heartbreak in that movie too, you know? You do. That was his whole world. That was his love. Yeah. You know, and that was the one thing that was like kind of holding him in check with like the darker aspects of his personality, you know? Yeah. And I love how it doesn't, like the, the whole reason behind those demon bikers showing it doesn't make any sense. Like so much of this is, is you, you see it as, as there's these elements of criminality, uh, drugs, uh, you know, general, like first world, uh, normal reality type seediness stuff. But then it injects it with this supernatural side of things that just comes in hot. 10,000 horsepower, flames in the air. Okay, I guess this is where we're going now, man. This ain't, come, ain't no coming back. And there's just some scenes in there that just look cool that involve cars and flames, chainsaw yes. fights, you know, things like that. Well, I love the fact that he, you know, there's that scene where he breaks into the house where the the demons are. Yeah. And they're just sitting around doing drugs and watching porn all day long. <laughs> It's yeah. like, what? So strange. But it just makes it all that much dirty and grimier. Excellent use of that King Crimson song, too, in the very beginning. <laughs> Someone could do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, kind of an unremarkable song by them. But it uh, it fits the, the tone of just this. Uh, you get the feeling of, you know, a, a, a sort of peace in his life through the boredom and repetition of what he's doing with himself. But you feel like that kind of ritual, that routine is what keeps him on this like path forward. That was like positive, you know, to be with his lady Mandy, mm -hmm. you know, and then the whole thing gets upset by this like ego maniacal hyper Christian, like cult leader. And, um, just takes away like the one thing that has any meaning in his life. And it just goes on this rampage of just violence. It's fucking excellent. Yeah. The, uh, the guy who plays the, the cult leader does a hell of a job too. Yeah. 
Yeah. I heard that th that record actually was recorded and released. So there is a, a vinyl record of that, uh, that really bad like folk album that he was uh, showing <laughs> off. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh, man. Fuck. Uh, surprising. We had three, three out of five matchup. All right. Yeah. I guess uh, for some, some movies that I was going through that could have made the list, I talked about High Tension. I talked about the Suspiria remake. Uh, not a very horrific in the physical sense, but Barbarian Sound Studio, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, uh, all that movie is some, I, I've seen people refer to it as style over substance, but this is film. That's acceptable if you do it right. Uh, I really liked the remake of Maniac from 2012 because I felt like they did something of, of, of their timeline and aesthetic and and want but they, they updated it in a way that they they told the same story essentially but they told it their own way and in a way that still i felt was honest to the original it doesn't have any of the grime that the original was at all and the two leads are absolutely polar opposite from each other from elijah wood to uh, or um originally um, uh, uh, Joe Spinell to Elijah Wood. They're, they couldn't be any more different. And it completely changes the way that that character in the movie uh, interacts with certain characters in the film. But I really enjoyed it. I think it did a good job of taking place of L.A. versus the New York uh, setting for the original. Um, it still dealt with, dare I say, somewhat of a sympathetic villain, uh, and it still delivered some pretty gnarly gore. Um, the Void was one that was really kind of on the edge of putting it, uh, bumping one of those movies off uh, my top five because uh, I just, I love the look and feel of it. Yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot of rhyme or reason, but fuck if I care. Uh, I really dug it. Um, I, I know what it's trying to go for, but in, in a sense, it's, it's a bit really in the same uh, feel or going for the same feel as like Mandy did. So, uh, but Mandy came out a little later, two years, um, but I'm into it. Uh, it reminds me also somewhat, not nearly as hokey as this movie, The Visitor from the 70s, uh, Italian, weird intergalactic, uh, metaphysical alien end of the world antichrist kind of flick it's a strange one i've never seen that one actually oh you should check it out it is it is something else there are some like these italian films uh that we've made mention of earlier uh, throughout this podcast it's got some incredible visuals some very very striking scenes in it but it is bonkers uh so the void uh black death which I watched uh, just recently with my lady. Uh, so if you like seeing Sean Bean die, there's lots of options. Uh, I thought they did a, a hell of a job with the creeping dread of showing up into this weird place. It, and, and in fact, I would say a movie like Black Death, his other film on my, my, my mentions, Apostle, do way better than a movie on my overrated which is midsummer in delivering 
the wicker man element that they're all kind of deriving from in some way. I felt like Midsummer. it just, it was a movie full of characters I didn't like <laughs> uh, with cultists that uh, up until a point, like they just, they just dealt with themselves. So I didn't give a shit like, Oh yeah, it's pretty crazy. You had a, uh, you know, you're elderly of a certain age, just jump off of a, a cliff and die. But like, I am not okay. You do you. But uh, towards the end of the film, it's like, well, there's some good shots of uh, some, some creeping horror and some, some very just slightly seen gore. Uh, but ultimately, I just felt like the movie fell on its fucking face. And all the supposed protagonists, I hated all of them. So when they died, I was like, good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I saw that in a theater with my uh, my ex at that time. And, and uh, I, I really didn't like that movie. I think the general consensus among the group of people that we went with was that, was that movie was like definitely missed the mark for sure. Yeah, I, I don't hate everything about the film. I, I, and generally, uh, movies uh, that really get on my 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 uh, I fucking hate them list usually like like Barbarian is because you had it and you fucking blew it. That makes me mad. That that's something that really gets on. If you just make a really shitty film and you can just tell you're just shitty at it, then okay, fine. Uh, it's a bad movie. But when you have the building blocks to really make something good and you just fumble that bad. I almost feel like you did it on purpose just to piss me off. Like you just had me in mind, ruined my night. <laughs> I know that's not the case, but I just, I just, uh, that, that really gets to me. Um, uh, I guess you could call it a horror movie, but it, as a Western, it's really more, uh, I guess it kind of sits more in that in the bone tomahawk. But I also just love the shit out of that director. Oh uh, yeah, Scott Zoller. That dude, as Craig Zoller, is fucking awesome. Craig Zoller, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Apostle, which I mentioned, great director with that one. Um, he, the guy that did the raid, um, and then I guess with uh, what was it? Uh, and The Witch, another great film. Yeah, very psychologically based. Love how they set it in that period and yet made people speak old english dug it it made it hard to understand but i'm fine i, I love the intent there and of course he would go on to do the lighthouse another great film uh i also enjoyed house of the devil which uh that guy ty west and i think is he a24 or whatever i know they're cranking on a lot of shit, but i thought an interesting kind of creepy film uh, with the, the whole satanic cult vibe with it. I liked it. Yeah. But yeah, my, my overrated, you know, Barbarian, I, I, I think that movie sucks. Garbage. And uh, Midsummer, just not a horrible film, but just did not deliver. And Terrifier, I just, I watched it and that was enough for me. I got a couple of mentions here. Uh, so a couple of French films, uh, Inside, from yeah. uh, Julian Mowry with uh, 
the one and only Beatrice Dahl in that movie. And uh, I, I, I actually that all those like early two thousands like French extremity movies in general are I, I have a, a a love for a lot of those films. Yeah, there's a couple of them, right? Isn't yeah. there one inside? Well, they they tried to remake that over here. I, I didn't even pay attention to that but yeah i imagine you know yeah um you know we we had uh you know martyrs inside uh high tension is part was loosely part of that there's another film called trouble every day which is uh by claire denis and um i'm not familiar with stars vincent gallo who doesn't speak french at all in the movie speaks english (laughs) in the whole film Um, okay but it's a it's a weird riff on a, on a vampire story. Oh, yeah, really interesting. And it's um you know once again Beatrice Dolls and that and uh, adjacent to French is uh, the Maniac remake because that's done by uh, Alexander uh, Aja, who's a part oh, of. Oh, you know what? I don't know why I didn't remember that. Of course, he would do a good job with it because he did high tension. Yep, uh, and that. Uh, um, also a good remake, the Hills Have Eyes remake. All, you know, the Hills Have Eyes Part Two has some incredibly. They have some scenes in that movie which I find absolutely horrifying, but the movie itself isn't. Um, there's some bad acting; it's cheesy at times. But then you'll have a scene that'll pop out, and you're like, "Fuck!" Like the whole start of that movie, Hills Have Eyes Part Two, is awful. <laughs> Uh, but then, you know, and then it goes into cheese and then it gets back to awful again and then cheese and then brutal gore and awful and then cheese. It's, 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 it's strange. Uh, but that first one, very creepy. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Alexander Aja really nailed it on that one. And which what way more horrifying than the original Hills of Eyes. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I have a, a girl, a girl walks home alone at night by, uh, that's a popular film, right? Yeah, Annie Lily Amarpour. It's uh Isn't that a short film? No, or did they no. make it a whole They made they made a feature out of it and uh Because the original one was a short film, I think, and then it had Elijah Wood in it, maybe? That I don't know. This one has all uh Iranian Iranian actors in it and actresses. And um it's shot in LA or California not in LA, it's shot somewhere in California out in the desert. Interesting. Yeah, and it's just like this moody vampire story. Um, yeah, I, I, I watch. It's another film I watch every few months. It's, um, you know, it's something that just, uh, it's, just, it's black and white. It's, you know, plays on this. Um, yeah, this movie came out before all of the toxic masculinity stuff, but it, it has some, some of that aspects to it. Um, so. You know, it resonated with me a little, a little bit. You know, about women not getting raped and stuff like that. You know, uh, sure. so uh, that doesn't make me uh, necessarily woke. It just makes me not a piece of shit because I think that stuff's bad. You know. Yeah, that actually the uh, movies. I can deal with all kinds of gore and torture and stuff, but rape stuff that's the yeah. stuff that gets in my skin that yeah. i have a hard time with so like i've never seen irreversible just no. simply because i don't but i've seen not to say i mean look i mean the things that make 
Hills of Eyes Part Two so awful for me are the things that are basically rape related. Right. That those are the things that make me like. That those are the parts that are, uh, just really bother the ever living shit out of me. And so I, when people tell me about Irreversible, I'm like, well, Gaspar Noe is actually known for making movies that are filled full of like really grimy, nasty stuff. But I just don't need to see minutes long rape scenes. I just, I'll pass. Uh, you know, I'll I'll track down when I can those the butcher films that he did, but uh, the raping, I just, uh-uh, not for me. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I've seen that movie uh, just once, you know, and uh, I just can't stand seeing somebody do that to Monica Bellucci. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. no, that's uh, and, and yeah, you know, women have to, I mean, rape is something that they've always had to have a concern about. And it's not that men don't get raped. It's just what men generally run across as being their problems are never going to be the exact same thing that a woman's going to deal with. So even though women are the weaker sex, they're more, they're not going to get beat up so much as if someone usually attacks them, it's usually like a mugging or it's rape. But men might just get fucking the shit kicked out of them for any number of reasons. Right. And you just go, it's not about a comparison. It's not about which is worse or which is better. In fact, I think rape is worse than everything, but uh, it's just that, you, we understand this. We get that. And that's part of why we can relate and why it also can touch us in such a way and realize why that's so horrible. Yeah. And, and this film uh, is more about like, uh, you know, strong female lead, you know, she's the vampire. So she's kind of an anti-hero. Um, sure. You know, it's, it's, it's just a cool movie, you know, aside from all that, you know, feminist kind of stuff that people attach to this movie. I just thought it was an awesome film. You know, sometimes even when the feminists want to go out there and, and make some sort of a, a point, they can, they can absolutely make a great movie. Uh, that you know, that isn't one doesn't have to be separated from the other. And generally, what makes a movie bad is is if someone tries to jam a message up your fucking ass while you're trying to watch instead of just letting you subtly be there and enjoy something. So, uh, and that goes for whatever it may be. Well, well, that's how I feel, uh, Annie. Lily Amapur um, approached making this film, like because I've I've read interviews with her and everything, and and uh, yeah, she just made a great film. She's also Muslim, so she has like a deeper understanding of uh, you know misogyny than probably uh, you know women in the in the United States do. And uh, but but in the years since that film has come out, you know the things, the concepts that are being attached to that film, you know, they get, they get a little heavy handed sometimes. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Sure. Well, we're not going to shoot the messenger because if you, if you destroy a movie over every small complaint, uh, you end up just being left with nothing. And, and it, I don't think that's what anybody really wants. Right. Yeah. Now, as far as overrated, I got uh, malignant on there. Um, <laughs> I fucking watched that movie and I was just like, I don't, I don't understand the, the big, you know, big deal about this. Um, I also had Midsummer. I thought that movie was uh, really, really pretty bad. Too long. And then I discovered there's even a longer cut that's available of that film. Oh, man. Malignant. Yeah, I definitely didn't see this. Yeah. It's, and then the Hellraiser film, which 
just fucking offended me on how completely bloodless, you know, and vapid that movie was. I mean, the things that I loved about the the original, ver- I mean, this isn't even really a remake. It's like a further exploration of that concept is when you watch the Clyde Barker Hellraiser, like mm-hmm. you feel like you're not supposed to be watching this thing. Like when I was a kid, I was like, man, I wonder if my parents know I'm watching this movie because there's this stuff that you don't really understand, go all this weird sexual stuff. And it, it just feels like grimy and dirty and, and yeah. un- unsafe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the, and then the new Hellraiser has none of that stuff. Well, what's the point? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's I'm completely Hellraiser comes uh, in a way that is well, one, it's sexually fetishized to a degree, which just makes it even weirder. Uh, and, and I think people overlook that on the surface, and you go, um. Y- this dude was chasing down the ultimate high and this is what he came to uh and he did it voluntarily and even when he's dying at the end of the movie you can see that he's in this kind of tortured ecstasy over the whole thing (laughs) that's even grosser uh but that's what these demons are the cenobites take advantage of your 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 extreme hedonism that's their that's their get it's like delivering the most powerful potent drug they can to you it's just it literally destroys you yeah it's so powerful man you know and and this this film really didn't deliver on any of that you know it's like i almost wish abel ferrara would have made the hellraiser (laughs) a hellraiser movie you know (laughs) that would have been a very different look but I'm sure it would have been infinitely better than this fucking than the film that that you're describing to me. Yeah, I mean, because uh, the the elements of the story are there. There's like, you know, this the main character is like a drug addict, you know. So or immediately when I heard the plot elements, I was thinking, all right, someone who's like looking for the next level of all of experience, you know. And that's when I was like, oh man, you know, Abel Abel Ferrara like should have made this film. And they should have went back in time and got like Zoe Lund to play the main character, who I think actually was a, a heroin addict, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just very disappointing. I can't say disappointment because I really had very low expectations as it was anyway. Well, that did help. <laughs> she didn't get suckered into something expecting it to be good. Yeah. And, that, and that's it. That's my list, man. That's uh, yeah, that's what I got. That that's a that's a fair enough list. I uh, almost wanted to argue that uh, um, audition because it was just a year off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I stuck with it. I went two thousands and above. Yeah, that's that came out in the nineties, right? Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because I, I associate that with the nineties for sure. It it and it's funny. It's only a year different, but it does have a, a more '90s feel to it. Yeah. So uh, before we sign off, uh, let's talk about your whiskey, man. I keep hearing about this. Uh, it is. It's real. It is smoky as hell. It is. Uh, we make a bourbon, uh, but with smoked mesquite smoked corn, and we finish it in uh, a sherry cask. Give it that little extra sweetness. Uh, to balance out with that heavy smoke flavor. 
and uh, we've been winning awards with our single barrel, our blend. Uh, it's been doing great for us, and I'm pretty happy with it. It's uh, I always wanted to get involved in, in whiskey in some way, and to basically be diving in elbows deep the way I did, uh, I have that much more affinity for the whole thing. You know, I am um, not a big whiskey drinker, but uh, definitely want to check this out at some point. Well, it's got a sick name too, Warbringer. Oh, dude! And uh, and our uh, our single barrel product is Warbringer Warmaster Edition. Well, just uh, just for that alone, I got to try it out. Well, uh, when the single barrels are available, they usually go pretty quick. Um, the blend we try to keep in production as much as possible and available, and for those that aren't in Southern California, wherever we have distribution, which is pretty limited, uh, being that we are a very small distillery, uh, you can order online from warbringerbourbon.com. Cool. You can go to joshbarnett.com. There's links to all that stuff, including like my uh, grappling instructionals and uh, all kinds, a lot of podcasts I do will get posted up there so people can go check them out. Uh, and as well as my merch that they can buy, which I do through King's Road. Like a like a proper metalhead should. Hell yeah! Right on, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate this, man. This is this is great. Yeah, it's a blast. Uh, I don't really get to talk horror movies with too many people. Well, Josh, I hope uh, at some point I'll see you in person again. Uh, you know, right now our tour plans are a little bit in limbo, but uh, we'll be out on the road again at some point. Yeah, sure enough. And uh, I was just listening to. Um, which album was it of yours? I was I was just listening to the one that had uh, uh, was it uh, Secrets of the Black Sun? What is that song called? Oh yeah, Secrets uh, of the Black Sun. That's uh, that's yeah. on Under Sullen Skies. That's the last record that came out. I was just I was just I just cranked that on uh, the other day and was driving around listening to that. Good album. Thank you. Oh, by the way, you gave me a heads up about the new Goat Whore and. Uh, it wasn't out yet the last time I saw you. And, man, that's been on um, this constant rotation ever since the record dropped. So good. Boy, Sammy and, and, and Ben and them, well, they really do crank out some good shit. Hell yeah. And, 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 this, but, and this one, I love all their albums, but this one really is like a, a new high bar for those guys. I, I'm always so fucking happy to see them succeed not not as if like they're really struggling but uh they're just such good dude and they fucking love metal to their core and they're always trying to deliver uh the first time i ever saw them play i was there hanging with the dudes from lair of the minotaur and uh nate ulp from uh Demericus. and he goes hey we got to go check these dudes out and so we're at the knitting factory in la and i just remember watching them get on stage there's only like 50 satanic hispanics and us in the audience the pit gets rowdy as shit. There's like this super tall Mexican chick that's just going absolutely balls to the wall with anybody she comes across. And I'm like, I never really listened to this band, but everyone on this stage seems like a fucking full, full on pro. Like, like they've been doing this their whole life. They were so tight. And I was just blown away. Yeah. They always deliver live, man. And, and, uh, you know, and their records are great. And, and this new one is like, this is, this is like, like I said, I've been cranking this thing like nonstop for like the last few months. Yeah, that's fuck yeah. I've been listening to it too. It's good shit. 
All right, Josh, once again, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk soon, hopefully. All right, man. Till the next time. Take care. Yeah.